0: Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with my co-host, Brian Siegler. I am Curtis Wilson. Big guy, how you doing tonight?
1: Oh, man, I'm good. Uh, both classes this week were canceled, so I've been kind of living the normal uh, evening run the last three nights, man. It's been nice.
0: Both? Both. How did you uh, get that lucky?
1: Monday was for, unfortunately... Uh, sadder circumstances i guess A uh like a friend from uh from school had passed away so professor was attending the funeral cancel class Other uh, the professor gave us a mental health night so
0: mental health night i'll take it <laughs> you need those you need mental health nights you need mental health days i 100 uh, percent cam you.
1: appreciate it yeah we're, we're, we're rolling tonight it's gonna be fun uh We're going to put West Virginia behind us a little bit, and we're going to try
0: to move forward and see what what we can do with the rest of the season. Absolutely. Tuesday afternoon, you ball it up. Regardless, good, bad, or indifferent, you take the shot towards the trash can, you sink it. You say Kobe. You You say (laughs) Kobe, and you move (laughs) on. Because um, that's all you can do. If you continue to dwell on it, you will drive yourself a little bit insane. And we're not going to do that because we are on to Richmond. All right. But before we hop into that, we got some other things we want to talk about. A few national stories and uh, a couple fun things. But let's do this, Brian. Say it, Brian. Just say it. I told you so. And what I'm
1: referring to is that preseason polls are bullshit because 19 of the preseason top 25 have all taken l's in three
0: weeks that's insane um and some of those have taken multiple l's uh Miami <laughs> um some are gone some probably won't be able to get back um but it's to the point it's a preseason. I heard it being said recently, it's just something to talk about. Yep. You shouldn't take it serious. It's If you get preseason ranked, you can be hyped. It's fun. But until you get on the field and start playing games against competition, it's worthless. I like preseason
1: previews and previews that put a power ranking on things. I don't like official polls. I think there that's you. where I need to differentiate between what I'm talking about here. I love learning about what teams are bringing to the table in the year. I love people trying to um, yes. take that th- those things on paper and try to put that out there and see kind of where where those predictions fall. I don't like those polls mattering in terms of how. The season shapes,
0: yes. Perception. The top 25 poll is such a perception thing, and it's when you have someone roll in in November and a team's, they're seven and one. And this is, you know, it it happens everywhere. They're seven and one, but they have three top 20 wins. And you go back and look, well, two of those top 20 wins were with teams that are not even getting votes anymore. And, you know, the other team's 24th. Like at
1: least the, the college football playoff puts that somewhat in context, but it still shapes
0: how we perceive the whole thing. It's true. You don't see much variation from it. And I think, you know, will it ever go away? No. So it's always going to be a hot topic. Yep, And it also shows you, too, that to me there are writers throughout the country who just throw names out there just to throw names out there it'd be it'd be fun if someone took a uh, um if someone took a what's the point if someone looked at all the writers and just like listed them each out of how they um of how they start at the beginning of the season and then continue it and essentially crown the best ap writer like yeah man Your top 25 (laughs) rate at the beginning, it never really wavered. You took people out when they had a loss, like a bad loss. You know, give that guy like $100,000 or something. Now, Brian, speaking of the CFP, uh, the committee announced tonight that it will no longer hold a vote on expansion next Tuesday. Um, Realignment has given them uh, cold feet.
1: Well, I know there's other factors playing in there, but I feel like the realignment thing and SEC has uh given the committee as a whole cold feet in terms of moving on this. They're they're now talking about they're going to consider potentially eight along with 12. They still say 12 is the best overall model, but they want to address some of the issues that have been brought to their attention with it. And I mean, I, I said it myself. Twelve isn't perfect, but what I said is twelve. I think is best for everyone involved. So
0: twelve is the best option for blue bloods and for up and comers, and for the G five. That's what it gives enough room for
1: everybody to eat a little bit. Yep,
0: exactly. And because the the blue bloods are going to eat regardless, it gives a little more room for everybody else to eat a little bit as well. Exactly. And probably the biggest thing with the realignment is when they were going in there, their expectation was, well, we're going to give six because we have five power conferences that consistently put out top 10 teams and we're going to give a bone to a G5 conference. Well, now they have to look at it to say, is the realignment of the G5, you, you hate to say this, and you, you, you feel for those teams, is the realignment of the G five going to be good enough to beckon a a spot at the table? I mean, they're losing Cincinnati, they're using UCF, they're losing Houston, they're losing you know BYU is independent, but you you could still see them as getting the at large bid
1: potentially.
0: Yeah. So it's like, are, are we just gonna? I think they I think eventually they're going to stick with twelve. But you know what I think they're going to do, Brian five automatic bids, top five conferences. And because I think what they're seeing is like the the new Big 12 is not going to be as good as the old Big 12, but it's not going to be lower than some of the G5 teams. It's going to be in the middle there. So we're essentially going to give them a bone that if they can pull a top 12 team off every year, they're going to get in.
1: Yeah, and I guess the other big question is that you know now with – a lot of these big G5 schools moving to the Big 12, the SEC getting stronger. You know, at what point is more teams actually diluting the product in terms of automatic bids?
0: True. And that's why I think they go to five and then they yeah. just, and then it, it lays where it may. Um, so hopefully they get it done quick. I mean, I think also what might be happening too is the CFP might be on some sort of scrutiny of as these realignments are happening, Fox is making phone calls. Maybe CBS is making phone calls saying, hey, we won't end on these playoff games. And for them, the smartest move is just going to be wait and see what happens. Because if you've got multiple bids on multiple games, then you're really talking – a, for the CFP in general, just to have stronger leverage, over, to me, stronger leverage over ESPN, where ESPN can dictate all the terms.
1: Yeah, I think that's the big thing. I think the the whole point of this long term is to wrench some of the leverage away from ESPN and SEC in general and try to get it a little bit more more balanced in terms of how those... Uh, distribution rights uh, are, are, are kind of divvied out there. Uh, we'll see if, if this is, uh, you know, another part of that leverage along with the uh, the alliance with the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12.
0: Absolutely. All right, Brian. Well, let's turn now to the hokey side. Let's talk about a few things that came out of the presser. Yes, we dropped it in the garbage, but we still need to address both of these quotes here. Um, <laughs> from the Fuente Presser on Monday that we listened to. So the first thing was talking about the offense, and this was the quote. We stunk. You don't get down there three times and come away with nothing and not reevaluate and talk about and look at all aspects of it, top to bottom. We weren't very good. What do you say to that quote, Brian? What is that telling you? depends on who he's
1: referring to when he says we um i mean in general you know what we talked about is that you know a lot of this falls back on the coaches because when you look at it either the calls were bad you can we can debate that if you want to but objectively i think some of those calls were bad but outside of that outside of that you know, if you're saying the execution wasn't there, okay, well, it's the coach's responsibility to get the players ready to execute the plays in uh-huh. these types of situations. Exactly. So either way, it's falling back on either preparation or the calls themselves. So, you yeah, know, that, that's one aspect of it. Um,
0: what did, what was your takeaway? Um, Very similar to that, you know, the whole thing that I, I, I like to hear is the reevaluate. And look at all aspects because in the past, a lot of his quotes had always been about execution. A lot of his quote has always been, again, to me, it always had slanted toward the players more than the coaches, you know, because most time people, when they hear execution, the first thing they think is, well, that's a slight on the players. You've always made the point of, well, execution is just as much on the coaches because it's their job to teach it and get it executed correctly. So when I hear that, you know, hopefully going back in, it's you're looking and he's sitting there with the entire offensive coaching staff and saying, okay, here was the first play. Why did we do this? Okay. Right. right? I mean, yeah. Start at top down. Say And, Why and,
1: did you do and, and some of what you're talking about kind of goes into the second quote that
0: we're going to talk about here. Yes. Yes. So to me, the, the, the whole thing is great. You're going to reevaluate it. You're going to um... – <laughs> Well, Brian Kelly also fired a whole offensive staff a few years ago and since then has paid nothing but dividends. So he executed his staff and has since <laughs> – <paid his football laughs> um, Yeah, he definitely pulled the trigger that uh, Fuente has yet to do yet. So Yet
1: to do. You know,
0: but the, but the other he people, also
1: killed a guy. Yeah. So. Oh. I think well, that was the reference,
0: and we just it on Twitter. Oh, I know that was the reference. <laughs> um, but the other piece is again, you, you'd always heard him talk about execution. Now the question is, as you reevaluate it, what changes come from it? You can reevaluate. I can sit here and you know, you can, we can reevaluate anything in life, yeah. If it's not going well, but if you sit there and say. Well, what well, we're still just going to do the same old thing, then. Then what does it matter? Because the product that's happening, you didn't re- you reevaluate it to get to the same answer. Nobody. Wants so to. I'm,
1: gonna, I'm I'm going to use it the same way that I applied in my job. So uh, data management, uh, data analysis. You know, if if you if you collect data and you have no intentions of doing anything of that with that data, what the hell are you collecting the data for? If you're not going to have some sort of application uh, that you are collecting the data for, you need to just need to move on. So reevaluation is great. But if you don't turn that into actionable changes uh, moving forward, then it's all for naught.
0: All for naught at all. Now, going into what we talked about, the top down approach, the next quote was this. And this is him sort of defending and talking about Brad Nielsen.
1: But I would also say there's
0: nobody at iron out the minutiae it takes to give our guys a chance to be successful than Brad. Um, Where's your bullshit meter on that one? God, <laughs> It's overflowing, man. I mean, because the thing is, if he is such great at minutia and ironing things out, we wouldn't be talking about this in year six because it would have been hammered out in the last few years. So He's probably not great at it, or he could be great at very individual aspects of ironing out Benutia, but not ironing out an entire offensive coordinator type role. Well, I think it goes back to what we were just talking about with the collecting data is that
1: I think he's decent at scheme okay at game planning but awful at adjustments and situational situ- situational play calls so i mean if you're if you if you're going to get the minutiae and break it down and have it there and you're still not going to make changes into how you approach yeah. those other aspects that you have known are flaws in your um in your game then again it doesn't matter how good you are at ironing out the minutia if you're not going to apply it uh, in some on way game day
0: um, I can't remember if it was me and you talking, Brian, or if I overheard it in a conversation um, on radio or other various avenues. But there was a discussion this week about there was a team that they knew that the offensive coordinator ran 20 to 20. But when it got inside the 20, essentially the head coach took over. The head coach had the background in offensive coordinating. Mm. And when he clicked inside the 20, didn't matter. That was his focus. It, a, it helped. And, and, and when I th- started thinking about it, well, this helps a couple reasons. You know, if you've got a coach who's running the scout teams, okay, he's seeing both sides of the ball, you know, where's he? where's his next focus, though? And for that coach, it was the focus is I'm going to focus inside the 20-yard line. Now, I'm not sure if that coach is focusing on both sides. Maybe maybe he was. Maybe he was giving input to the defensive coordinator about looks that team's giving. And in his own team, I'm taking over the play controls. I'm going to call the plays from here because I am focused on this piece. So it's got to be something like that. So if you tell me Saturday afternoon we're watching the game and the, produ- and the sideline reporter says – You know, Justin Puente told us yesterday, in the in our production meeting, that plays inside the twenty-five, he would do he would be taking over strictly. I hear that like okay, you're actually making a change, and we actually get to see if anything's different, right?
1: And that's what we 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 have been pretty awful on red zone opportunities really uh, throughout the year. Um, so yeah. far in the first three games, um, we we got to get better. There, there, there's What's just up? there's no way around it. We got to get better. If we don't get better at putting points on the board when we get in scoring areas, yep, then it's gonna be a long year. Um, so we, we got to get better.
0: In the issue, um, is-
1: and I know, uh, what was it you brought up uh, that you saw Monday night? Um, that the that the oh, Mannings were discussing.
0: Yeah, Peyton Manning came up Monday night, and if y'all watched it, what he talked about was. Third down plays, and he he referenced like third and ten because I think that was the play on the field. Third down plays are your playmaker plays. You figure essentially he's saying the offensive corner in their mind should be figuring out how to get one of these people the ball because they're the best players and they have the best opportunity to get the first down. What he backed it up with it and said, now fourth down calls are essentially scheme calls. You essentially it's fourth and whatever. I think at that point it was fourth and three or something. That's a scheme call. You look inside your thing and say, This is our best play in the scheme for fourth and three or less. Or fourth and four or less. This is how we're going to execute this play. Right here. This play. And it, it and it and when when I when you when when we started talking about it, it was just like, yeah, that makes sense, right? Because you can't scheme a third down and ten play. You can't. You can't. You have to figure out a way to, maybe you figure out a way to scheme your best player open, but that is still scheming your best player open. Not, not allowing the scheme to derive who gets the ball.
1: Yeah. And I feel like we, we are a lot more dependent on scheme for success, especially in the passing game than we really need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we need to do a better job of imposing our will. And I hope that,
0: uh this game this week is when we really start to see some of that. Maybe. Maybe not. Um because Brian, there's a there's a lot of stuff going on and probably the biggest is at right tackle. Yeah. I mean A will we, find out? we find out after the game we see Broughton get out there and Terrell Smith get out there. No Parker Clements. Find out Clements had been banged up, didn't travel. Um Silas out we know both he and Clements participated in practice on Sunday, which is a good thing. Yeah. um but it's right now let me let to, me ask
1: this to what degree they participated is the question, okay. but the fact that they were at least out there doing their thing is is at least somewhat encouraging.
0: Okay. Let me ask this. Let's say they're both Nick. They could play, but essentially, If you played them this week, they could get further injured and they'd be out three weeks after this. Is this a week that essentially you put on Vance Feist to say, figure out Tyrell, Brock Hoffman, someone else at right tackle? Because we need to let Silas get 100. Because we have a stretch of games starting at Notre Dame that are really going to determine how good this season is. I mean, just in general, they need to figure
1: out who their second right tackle is regardless of um you know what they end up doing long term we we've got to figure out who our number two right tackle is because right now we rotated Brock we had Tyrell Smith in there I mean it's it's been kind of a a rotating cast last week and I don't think either of them had great success especially against West Virginia so um I'm hoping that we see them have success against what should be a, even if they're not necessarily size-wise, an FCS-type opponent in terms of what they are in the trenches. Ability-wise, they should be a big step down from uh, what we saw with West Virginia, so we should be able to handle them.
0: Yeah, and to toos point there, it is an all-season issue. We talked about it. We I think we still are better than what could have been. We still have at least guys who can I mean, yes, Brock got beat on a couple bad sacks. I mean they look terrible. But it wasn't he was whipping every single play.
1: Yeah, I mean he had he had good snaps and bad snaps. Yeah. Um, we, we need to essentially, you know, mitigate the big problems and what? you know, you can't you can't get beat off off the line. I getting beat after you make your initial punch, you know, you at least give your quarterback some time to see the rush, potentially escape, you know, take care of themselves, even if they can't, um, you don't get a situation like uh, Braxton had last week where, you know, it was an Ole block by Brock, and all of a sudden he's he's got a, a strip sack there in the
0: red zone. Well, can I ask this, and this goes back again to scheme and to offensive coaches. You put a guy out there, and on that sack inside at the the fourth and the fourth down sack, yep, there was no help to his side. No, it was strictly and you're sitting here, and, and I'm a layman when it comes to it, and it's like that's Brock, who's a center who I think can play right tackle if you give him enough reps and give him enough time, but you're going to go out there on fourth down and give him no help against a guy who has beaten multiple times during the, during the game. Yeah. What are you doing?
1: I'll be honest. It wasn't Brock's best game, but at the same time, he was definitely put in situations where it was going to be hard for him to be successful. Um, And, you know, some of that goes back to vice, not, not having a plan B and some of that goes back to the staff in general, not really having, um, what what they need in terms of depth at the offensive line position across the board, and we said that was going to be a problem, right? So yep. we felt better about this offensive line than we felt in the spring depth wise. I think mm-hmm. we're probably still a little iffy. One person short. We're one person short. We mean, we st- again we we said it the whole time. We were most shaky at what our. Third tackle was going to be, and we're still yeah. shaky
0: at what the third tackle is going to be. And it showed significantly. All right, Brian. This was mentioned a couple times this week once by um, Chris Coleman at TSL, another uh, by French over at the Key Play. And the question is Is Braxton Burmeister hurt in some way? Um, we saw it Saturday. <clears throat> where there were no read options, there haven't been any read options. Um, for a while, he's still running, um, and, and sometimes a little bit recklessly. When especially that twenty-six yard run, he put his body on the line to get that. Do you think he's hurt in some way, or do you think this is what happened at Middle Tennessee and taking one of the, taking a good hit at North Carolina has essentially had us crawl into a hole with what we're doing with him? Or do you think he's legitimately hurt? Like I, I don't know at this point. I I think it probably has more to do with the
1: latter than the former. I think he probably is banged up. Um, I think he's probably getting treatment on that shoulder from the North Carolina hit, from the bigger hit against Middle Tennessee State. Um, so he's probably getting treatment on it, but I don't I don't think it's necessarily impacting his ability to play the game. But I think the the staff is making a a pointed choice of taking the read elements out of our offense. Except on a couple situational um, calls, like on that fourth and one, um, where we're not calling anything that is, is either a design run or a read option, uh, we've pretty much taken the read out of the out of the playbook. Braxton is just carrying out fakes at this point. He is not actually reading and making a decision to give the ball. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting to see if we bring some of that back. Um, as the season goes along, um, so I'm not sure if he's if he's hurt or not in terms of um, limiting his ability, um, but I, I definitely think he's probably banged up to a point where they're making changes, and I'm not I'm not certain that that's a good thing because while I want to keep Braxton healthy, you know, at some point you're you're cutting your nose off to spite your face uh, <laughs> with with limiting a what what is a run first quarterback in taking away his greatest asset.
0: It's very true. It's very true. And you know again we the although the access has gotten better this year, there's still a lot we don't know. Um but to me it's it's to your point the whole the nose and face thing. If you're protecting him, then you might as well play Knox Gatem because he and Knox you know passing wise I would say on the same level at least with Knox, I mean, Knox is not the athlete Braxton is, but at least once every 10 jet sweeps or every 10 read options, he could pull one down and get six or seven yards where he'd have to respect it. I mean, so they need to make a decision. And and that decision, either you're going to play with him full bore or you're going to bench him. And they have to make that decision because because if it is something where they feel like, oh, he can get hurt more, well, is it something he could sit three weeks and he'd be okay? Yeah.
1: Because if he's not healthy enough to run the full offense, you need to sit him down. If he he is, then you need to run the full
0: offense. There you go. Exactly. All right, Brian. Once every two years – Other than the Virginia Tech game that happens on this Saturday, golf takes over my main TV. (laughs) Ryder Cup, baby. Ryder Cup, whistling straights. Um, I don't know who else will be out there watching it. I am a golf nerd. I love it. I literally, before we walked in tonight, I was watching live from the Ryder Cup, seeing all the pairings. It's one of those events. I it's like the masters for me. It's like several other things I, I am going to try to get to in the next five to 10 years. Like seriously, probably yeah. once all my kids are in school of school age. <laughs> um, so I can be like, "Hun, i I'm going with some people. I'm going up here. Bye. Love you.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: it's such it's such a fun event to watch because yeah.
1: it's such a individual achievement sport that like turns into this like hyper, uh, like team atmosphere, like team like – it's it's just such a big switch in the dynamic that it just
0: it, – it's so awesome to watch. And, and it's the crowds too because the yeah. crowds – crowds are the, huge. The crowds are massive. And even with the Masters and even all the, the big events, there can be roars, right? There yeah. can be roars. I mean, somebody hits an eagle at 13 at Augusta, it echoes. But at this, to me, what Ryder Cup is, is they literally drop a college football atmosphere on the golf course with yeah. 100,000 people. You it's know. sustained, and you don't yeah. usually have that at golf and you, events. And you have an enemy, and you have chance, and you have you know roars, and you have the guys smack talking. Where normally if Rory McIlroy, the Euro, would sink a birdie putt, he would just walk off the hole, tip his hat. You remember a couple of years ago when he put that one on top of Reed? The finger wag like no no it's awesome so i'm i'm off work friday so that's why uh i'm gonna be coming back it, it, it tees at 8 30. i'm gonna swing by get a big cup of coffee probably maybe go to chick-fil-a get a nice chicken sandwich or maybe rise get a nice big chicken sandwich and then uh sitting here probably for the better part of nine hours yeah. not moving so Um, Rise is the move, man. Go to Rise. Rise is the move. Go USA, beat the Euros. Now, guys, tonight, before we uh, turn into Know the Enemy U of R, we are going to take a uh, quick pause with a message from our digital partners. All right, guys. Know the enemy, University of Richmond, coached by Russ Huseman. They are a top 25 FCS program, have been for a couple years now, just missed the playoffs last year, probably based more on um, not playing enough games than actually the record itself. But we're going to kick off tonight with their defense. Brian, you told me they are a 4-2-5 defense, and I remember listening to the pressure on Monday, Fuente mentions, that five of their defensive linemen could play for us. Well, did we recruit any of them is the first question I have for walk-on opportunities because, Brian, the first guy we talk about tonight, defensive tackle, Kobe Turner out of Clifton, Virginia, 6'3", 290. He was a walk-on. And he's a redshirt senior in his career, 117 tackles, 25 tackles for loss, 12 and a half sacks was the 2020 co-CAA Defensive Player of the Year from walk-on, and now he is getting looked as an NFL prospect to get drafted next fall. What are you seeing from this big guy on tape?
1: Uh, Motor guy, um, really good use of his hands, um, good job working leverage, um, getting off blocks. Uh, you usually don't see tackle machines like this at the defensive tackle position and uh, he just he eats things up so we're gonna have a handful with him in the middle. You know hopefully we end up working out something at tackle so we have what is probably our you know, our three best combo in there with with Brock and uh, Lasitas and either Caleb or Johnny at right guard um, to be able to keep him in check. Um, if we if we slide Brock out, then then we're probably getting a little bit thinner in the middle there than I'd like to. Um, so, yeah, he's going to be the the big player on defense that we've got to watch. He is their game changing talent on the defense.
0: All right. So again, Kobe Turner, number ninety eight, walk on turned all American turned NFL prospect. So keep an eye on him. All right. Next guy, I want to talk about Brian. Let's talk about Darius Reynolds, the six foot two defensive end, 250 pounds out of Yorktown. Um, 2020 actually led the CAA in sacks. He had like five and four games, which was very impressive. He is a 60 year senior in his career 93 tackles, 19 tackles for loss, and 13 sacks. So, really, last year, it looked like that was going to be that. Really, was his coming out party, and he's played pretty solid this year. What are you seeing from Darius? Where's he lining up for us?
1: Yeah, he he definitely turned the edge uh, last year. Um, you know, he's he's lining up the defensive end. Uh, they'll they'll swap sides with those D ends, but um, he really is kind of their their speed rush, the guy off the edge that they're bringing, um, especially on third third and long. He's he's pinning his ears back and coming after the quarterback. Um, looks like, like, like you said, he's, he's really seemed to turn the corner, uh, last year with the spring season into this year. So, um, got to make sure that our tackles are holding up in pass pro. We can't have what we had last week, uh, at the right tackle position. And really, really both tackles overall didn't have a great game, but, um, Tanuta held up a whole lot better than we did on the right side, uh, overall. So we got to make sure that we keep him in check and don't, don't get Braxton, uh, hit unnecessarily.
0: Depending on who starts at right tackle with Reynolds, um, do you think we're going to, if he's lining up on the right tackle side, are we going to have to essentially put Gallo over there or at least have someone, whoever's in the backfield chip every play? Or do you think whoever it might be could hold up against his talent level?
1: You know, I'd like to see us at least give that a try um, before, before we start sending help that way. Um, it, it's, it's a pretty decent stress test to see if we're, we're holding up better than we did last week. Um, I'd, I'd like to see us be able to, you know, there's no reason that we should not be able to hold up against this defensive line overall. Like I said, Kobe Turner's definitely a, a handful, but the other guys are FCS caliber players. Um, so okay. Darius Reynolds is a good version of that, but you know, there, there's still a cap there.
0: Got it. All right, Brian. You know, we looked at the D-line. Really not going to look at the secondary tonight because I think the two guys in the middle with what we've been doing on offense are the guys we've got to look at. And what we're looking at is the linebackers. We're going to start with number 41, Tyler Dressler, out of Covington, Virginia, 6'3", 245. Was an all-CAA linebacker last year in his career. 182 tackles, 18 tackles for loss, six sacks, and an interception. Um, Now, Brian, is he looking at – is this our Mike or is this our uh, more backer type position?
1: Dressler is more of the Mike. uh, And the next guy we'll talk about, Tristan Wheeler, is more of the backer. Okay. Um, Dressler does a good job of um, getting off blocks and and making tackles when they need to in the running game. Neither of them are great – in terms of their coverage. Um, so that's going to be an area where we can take advantage. Um, but, but Dressler's definitely going to be the harder in terms of uh, handling the blocks inside
0: the tackles. All right. Any 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 liabilities in coverage? Is this where we should take advantage of a Dressler? Yeah. I mean, really, like I said, both of these linebackers, both
1: Tyler Dressler and Tristan Wheeler, are, I'd say, just average at best in coverage. Um, that's okay. where I think we should attack them. Um, And in general, I think we need to to get really everybody across the board involved in the in the passing game this week. And hopefully we can kind of work ourselves into a little more of a groove there.
0: Little tease there, little tease for what's coming up later in the uh, Hokie Gamma version. That's a tease, ladies and gentlemen. That is a tease. All right. Next guy I want to talk about. This guy actually really impressive. Uh, You already mentioned his name, Tristan Wheeler, number 30. Linebacker, Bethlehem, PA, 6'2", 228. All first, CAA first team last year. In his two-year career, 167 tackles, six tackles for loss, one sack, two horse fumbles. 2019, he was the CAA Defensive Rookie of the Year. And he was also one of the final, one of the 20 finalists for the Rice Award. The Rice Award is given to the top FCS freshman, um, in 2019, it was won by Trey Lance. I, I'm very familiar with him. He's a hell of a <laughs> with state. This guy was a finalist. And, you know, you think about SCS, there's over 100 schools. And there's only 20 named to the finalists. He was one of them. And yep. those stats in a couple of years, Brian, he is, you know, he might not be much in coverage, but he can tackle. Yeah, he can definitely tackle. He makes a lot of good
1: plays and he doesn't miss a lot of tackles. I think that's the big thing is that he does good there. And he does a good job of cleaning up kind of on the spill area um when it, when he has that kind of edge responsibility there. So um he does really good at getting off the blocks as well, similar to Dressler, but does not is still kind of a liability in coverage. So hopefully we can take advantage of of him there. Um, and like I said, I, I want to see us do a little bit more with that. So we'll, we'll see how that goes.
0: All right, Brian, now I'm looking here. There are a couple guys that you want to talk about in the secondary. And the first one here that we're looking at is six foot two, Amar Hall out of Baltimore, Maryland. Um, so obviously a younger guy out of Maryland, um, played four games in the spring, um, and ranked fourth on the team in tackled, which is pretty impressive for a younger guy, especially a defensive uh, back position. Um, what are we seeing from him, Ron?
1: So this is kind of like what we were talking about with some of the safety play last year, last week with West Virginia, is that um, he makes some good plays here and there, but he also is prone to some big mistakes. Um, so hopefully we can... We can take advantage of of uh, the mistakes that he will make in the game. Um, redshirt freshman, I mean, they're still growing pains there, so that kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. And again, the the thing I'm focusing on this week is what we can do in the passing game to take some of this um, allow allow the offense to have a little bit more space to operate because that's a big problem that we've had, especially early in the West Virginia game. We had it early in the Middle Tennessee State game. We got tight in the uh, second half against UNC. We've got to do something to kind of space this field out a little bit more to let this offense start to hum a little bit better.
0: Well, I mean, I think if we take a look at some of the, again, those third and fourth quarter route concepts, if we can start just getting those involved early in the game, whether we're taking shots or not. Yeah. Because how many. I'm not
1: not saying we need to drop back and take shots all day, but I I want to see. Oh yeah, the, the the two guys we're talking about. So Amir Hall and we're going to talk about Aaron Banks here in a second. Both yep. of them are prone to make mistakes in the secondary. They are solid players, but they are prone to make mistakes. That's where we need to capitalize. We need to be able to go out there and beat these guys and and put some yardage up on them
0: this week. All right. Speaking of Aaron Banks, five foot eleven, hundred eighty pound redshirt junior out of Stephen City, uh, career just. Twenty, just thirty-two tackles. So obviously, you know, in a four-year career, he's only played sixteen games. So sparingly, it looks like this is his year to start as a redshirt yep. junior. You already mentioned it one time. What sort of errors are you seeing that he's making? Um, like you mentioned with Hall, uh, so him in particular uh, got beat on a
1: couple double moves. Um, doesn't not a not a very willing tackler. He doesn't do a good job of coming up and making the play. Uh, tackling uh, as well, so I think we should be able to run at him. I think we should be able to throw at him if we if we work some uh, some you know double move concepts into the into the game there. So like a hitch and go or you know sluggo or something like that.
0: All right, Brian. Houston's known for his defense, but just looking at the tape in general, I know you really looked at the Villanova game, which I mean, guys. They basically had a two touchdown lead, you know, going into the last two minutes of that game and they lost. Or a one touchdown lead, two touchdown lead with nine minutes to play, one touchdown lead with two minutes to play. And they essentially gave up 21 points in the course of nine minutes. Um, I mean, they more or less shut down
1: Villanova's offense for like three and a half quarters. (laughs) Because I think 10 of those points that Villanova got early on were. Uh, on very short fields. So, you know, Richmond did a good job against Villanova for three and a half quarters and then just kind of let that one slip away
0: from them. All right. Well, let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball, Brian. And I know there's one offensive lineman you want to talk about, and that's going to be Tim Coleman out of Stone Mountain, Georgia. Um, He was a transfer from Furman. Um, And actually, something that you don't see too, too often, a three-star guy, 247 and for rivals, so he did have some recruiting looked at while he was um, a recruit. He was a freshman All-American while he was at Furman, then transfers over to Richmond. Um, and right now, you know, in his career at Richmond, you know, he's played in 29 games, so it looks like he's officially he got there, he was in some sort of role for the last three years and continuing with his role this year. What are we seeing from this left tackle on tape, Brian at 64320? Uh
1: he's their most solid and consistent offensive lineman. Um so really if we can figure out a way to um, you know get Garbett on on the opposite side of him going and hopefully Barno can maybe get some one-on-one situations and still beat him here because um you know we we we've seen Garbett kind of take steady steps here but we need to see I think the entirety of the defensive line um, take care of this offensive line. The offensive line overall is, I'd say, average. Uh, they're they're not built like your typical FCS line. Like I said, both sides in the trenches, they they've got some good size to them. Um, and, and Tim Colvin's probably the best of the bunch. So if we can show out and show that we can actually get pressure on the quarterback in one on one situations uh, against him, I'll feel pretty good about you know steps we're taking on the defensive line.
0: All right, what kind of um, offensive concept though, are they?
1: So they're kind of like that—that power smash mouth spread. They like to run the ball um, out of the spread concepts, read option, um, but they'll—they'll they'll sling it downfield as well. Um, very similar offense to kind of what Ohio State kind of runs.
0: That's what I was about to say. Is this something if we looked at Ohio State, this would be, um, this would be a much lesser version of that. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a simplified or version of of what ohio state runs awesome all right well let's look at some skill position guys and i want to start with probably the guy that jumped out the most to me um you know aaron dykes the 511 200 pound running back out of knoxville tennessee um you know so far this year 215 yards from scrimmage for four touchdowns and we're facing another stud kicker turner which we did great last week but don't sleep on this guy. 1,197 yards and three touchdowns in his career. He's almost averaging 28 a return. He housed a 98-yarder against Villanova. So this guy's got versatility written all over him, both in the run, the pass, and a special teams game. What are you seeing on the tape, Brian? Yeah, I mean, we're dealing with another versatile running back
1: like we were last last week, guy that can run between the tackles, run outside, uh, catch the ball in space, make guys miss. Um, not as elite uh, as Letty was last week, but um, yeah. still can do all those type of similar things. Um, so we're gonna have to be ready um, on defense to not only get off blocks and make the tackle, make sure we're gap sound, but also um, you know when we're there in the passing game, we got to make the tackle. We don't want to give him a free run in open space.
0: All right, now. The next guy I'm going to talk about, Seven Smith. I'm assuming, just looking at the data, he's not a pass catcher at all, is he? No, this is definitely kind of
1: short, short yardage, change of pace, third and long back. If you if you need a uh,
0: an extra man to block, okay, um, that
1: that's the type of player he is for
0: them. All right, um, out of Winchester, Virginia, five nine two hundred. So obviously, talk about power, a little shorter, but the same. Yeah, he's he's that stocky back that you know
1: still has that athleticism, that little wiggle.
0: Good, 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 Dom. Um, good yards per carry at five point eight. I'm um, fifty seven for the year, with one touchdown. His reception numbers look like I think he's got like nine for like fourteen yards. Literally, he is the last option. I'm going to guess.
1: Yeah, so, he's very he's very much a, a a dump it if no one else is open. Uh, type situation just get get what you can get it's not they're not scheming him into um the
0: passing game at all all right do either of these guys obviously they're not letty brown they're not division no. one level but do they do the either one scare you where if we we make an error they can make us pay with a touchdown i mean the big thing is with with dykes when we're there we got to
1: make the tackle we can't let him get to the second level and have space to to show his athleticism. All right. That, so that, that, that's the big thing. Um, uh, that that's the, that's the area that scares me that if he gets past that kind of second level, um, with a lot of space to run, he's because of his the you know, he's shown the vision, uh, in the open field on
0: special teams. He can, he can house a big play. All right. So let's keep an eye on number three, Aaron Dykes. Let's make sure we don't make any boneheaded, uh, assignment mistakes like we did against WVU and give them something that we should be where you need to be, make the tackle. Mm-hmm. That's it. All right. Let's look at the, uh, couple of the other skill position guys, Brian, um, Isaac Brown, one of their big wide outs out of Winchester also Savon Smith's high school teammate. Um, first year really in a production role because in his first 19 games, only had 46 receptions in the last three seasons. Three games in, he's already a quarter of a way there to hitting his production numbers um, reception-wise, and then he's already at half the yard. So, obviously, like most FCS teams, usually your redshirt juniors, seniors, um, maybe even a grad transfer is going to be, you know, getting their production in, not freshmen and sophomores. So what are we seeing out of Isaac, Brian? Uh Isaac Brown is kind of the stick mover for them.
1: Um he he's he's starting to come on a little bit. Um definitely a good outlet for them on third down. Um you know nothing too scary in terms of uh you know deep threats or anything like that. Um but he's he's definitely a guy we got to keep an eye on to make sure that you know we get off the field on third down.
0: All right. So one of those does it look like we'll talk about Mancuso in a few minutes here, but does it look like when it is that third and five, do you see are you seeing Mancuso's head look for him quicker than he's looking for anybody else on the field? Uh I mean, based on the, the play calls that they're getting, they get they
1: definitely give him those, you know, get past the stick routes uh on okay. those e
0: downs. Got it. All right, another guy, a little bit more of a backstory here because it's a Division One talent guy. Leroy Henley, 6'2, 215 out of Pompano Beach, Florida. Transferred down from ECU, had very minimal production down at ECU for two seasons, just 24 receptions in 16 games for 264 yards. Um, and right now, seven games with U of R already eclipsed um, the yards at 324 with a couple touchdowns with the same number of receptions. He was a three-star out of high school. And this is one that catches your eye, because we always talk about certain states, top 100 players are really good players. He was ranked number 75 in Florida the year he came out. So that probably means he does have some talent, Brian. What is the tape telling you about his talent?
1: I mean, Tate's telling me he's a, he's a pretty good all-around receiver with uh, the, the ability to, to get deep and take the top off the defense at times. So, um, yeah, he's one that we want to watch in terms of those uh, big plays. Uh, we want to make sure we're not giving up big plays and letting him get open in the the back part of the defensive running free.
0: All right. Let me ask this about it, because when you talk about him getting the big plays, are the big plays – him getting there, or is it more of a? All right, we're scheming to get him deep because he's not going to beat everybody off the line. But if we can get him thirty-five yards downfield, he, he it'll be t- guys will be step for step with him, not right on top of him.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, he's shown some ability to get open um, in coverage, but he's also. You know, it, they, they definitely do a good job of scheming him open um, on some of those routes. Um, you know making the safety have to make a choice and that, that gives him the ability to run free sometimes.
0: All right um, what's give me, just give me the two routes that you see the most from them that we have to worry about. I mean, we got burned a couple times on it, but
1: uh, they, they like to run the corner. Um with him. him, So um and uh uh, they run dig a lot. Uh so linebackers gotta make sure we're not not moving out of our zones. Um safety's gotta be able to come up and make a tackle there as well.
0: All right. We're gonna look at the tight end now too, Brian. Now this is a tight end, I look at his size, um, and I look at his background it seems to me – I don't know how this guy didn't wind up at a D1 as a preferred walk-on. His name is Connor Devane, number 83. He's six foot five. He's 256 pounds out of Medford, New Jersey. Um, he is considered a redshirt freshman because of the NCAA rule, but he played in every game last year, all four of them. Um, and he's played in every game this year so far. He also played basketball in high school um, – where you know he essentially averaged 18 points a game as a senior. So so definitely showing some athleticism there. And so far this year, the first couple games, not a big not a lot of statistics, but the last game, Brian, three catches, fifty yards. So something happened between the first two games, maybe because they blew the they blew Lehigh and they blew Howard out is why he didn't see anything. But what do you see from Devaney on tape? Um, he he kind of has a th- that classic tight end uh, frame.
1: He He's definitely more of a balanced tight end. He's a good blocker, um, good in, in routes, but he's not someone like a joker tight end that's just out there um, splitting out, lining up all over the field. Uh, he's not that type of a tight end. And he, you talk about, you know, guys that are playing – uh, like lower level, um, college football that have that division one body. Um, I'll, I'll throw this one back at you here. Uh, we had a guy my freshman year at Hamden, Sydney, Cole Downer, um, ended up in the making game, caught the winning touchdown for us, um, in 2002, transferred from Hamden, Sydney to Clemson, and started <laughs> for them for a year. So, uh, you don't, you know, you, you sometimes see these bigger body guys at these lower level schools and, and, and it, it's kind of crazy like that. So um he kind of fits that, like I said, the classic tight end mold, um, which is why you see him have some some big games when those concepts are open and then you see him, you know, almost disappear when when they're not so. Um, you know, he's not somebody that they're scheming their offense around, but he's definitely a guy that if he's open, he can, he can make the catch and do some things with it.
0: Well, that's pretty wild because, you know, you normally don't see if anything you see like a, you see the D three guy, maybe get up to the FCS level, right? Yep. Because of some reason, Um, unless they're playing it like mountain union or whitewater, they'll stay there their whole time. But you know, it's crazy that someone went from D3 to Clemson and in the mid-2000s. Clemson wasn't terrible. They hadn't had that quite dip under Tommy yet. But, uh, you know, if you're this guy or if you're other schools and you see the body type and you see what he does, do you think there's going to be some sniffing around? I mean, he's a redshirt. He's a freshman. He's got four He's got multiple years of eligibility left. Do you think somebody's going to sneak around to U of R's campus and – try to convince him to hey come on over
1: yeah I mean there there's that possibility there but um, I think he's gonna need to show a little bit more than we've seen from him so far but he's got the he's definitely got the body type I'd like to see a little bit more production uh, than what we've seen thus far but he he's definitely a guy you got to keep an eye on just because he does have the ability when he's called upon
0: very nice. All right, last person we're going to look at will be the quarterback. That is Joe Mancuso, 6'4", 215, out of Blairsville, Georgia. Um, I looked at his 2019 stats because I feel like getting a full season of SCS, that would be better than trying to go four games. Solid, not spectacular through the air, 2,100-plus yards, 13 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. But what got me scared, Brian, is when I looked at – his rushing statistics, 647 yards, a little over four and a half yards of carry, four point seven, ten 10 touchdowns. So whether he's just using his 6'4", 215 frame to go through people or if he's got some feet, it scares me because of things that have happened in the past with Virginia Tech and guys who can move.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely uh, hear your concern, and I'm going to – probably not alleviated but i'll at least give it a little bit of a of a massage here All right. um, overall athleticism he's closer to sam howell than like elite what? level uh players that we've seen in the past that being that being said because of the style of offense that they run he does get a good number of carries and a lot of times those carries are out of the read option where if we aren't being disciplined he can get a 10 or 15 yard free run before we really have somebody there to make a play. So that that's, that's where the concern is. So he, you know, overall athleticism, he's not a Bryce Perkins that's going to run, you know, the big one on you. Um, But at the same time, he is athletic enough where he's going to make plays consistently in the offense. And we've got to be able to tackle him and we got to be disciplined in being where we need to be.
0: All right. Um, what about his arm? I mean, I see ten interceptions to thirteen uh, touchdowns. That's that's almost one to one. I mean, is is he an errant throw guy, or is it he's got a good enough arm where there's windows? He's trying to squeeze it in there based on their offense.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's definitely got a good arm. Um, I'd say accuracy is about average, uh, but he has the arm that can make all the throws that you want a quarterback to make. All right. Yeah, so the the big thing, again, similar to last week, is to get pressure on him um, in the pocket and make him get rid of the ball before he's ready.
0: All right. Well, let's hope we can do that. And let's go ahead and flip it, Brian. Let's get to the Hoka Gamma version. And I, we got offense lined up first, but since we're coming off their offense, I want to flip to our defense. You just said it. Get him off his spot. Amari Barno, we both said this. We have not seen him in the stat lines, and we really haven't seen him make much of an impact the last two games. Yep, He has to make an impact this game. He's got to get his footing back and make an impact in this game.
1: Yeah, we we need to do a good job of getting him ready for this game and ready to make an impact on the defense. Um, We've seen two games in a row where – He's been steady, but he hasn't flashed that ability that we've needed and that we got from him against UNC. Uh, I don't know whether that's getting Tate from UNC and they figured out a way to slow some of that down or, or what it may be. Uh, but whatever it is, we need to see the ability that he's flashed last year and the ability that we saw against UNC
0: come out more consistently. All right. The next one. And we discussed this Sunday at nauseum. The first two games was probably some of the best tackling games we might have had in the last decade. Saturday, not so much. It, it nothing burned us for a touchdown per se, but it kept drives going. What do we have to do to clean it up, Brian?
1: I think the big thing is just, I mean, it, it's got to be tackling and it's got to be consistently being where you need to be so you're not reaching. So we saw on the opening touchdown, um Dax come in, missed the tackle. Part of that was because someone wasn't in the right position, Um, right? So yeah. a lot of times missed tackles occur because we're not gap sound, we're not making the right run fits, things like that so it starts by doing the, the those things right and then that kind of can feed into making the tackle but um another thing that we saw last week was um a couple plays uh, I'm, I'm gonna call out specifically chamari connor on a uh a third down uh come in for a kill shot and instead of wrapping up and then if you don't get the guy to the ground um, at some point, you know they end up making a play after the fact, and you know that cost us a a third down conversion there. So, if you're going to go for the kill shot, make sure you're wrapping up too. Absolutely,
0: Brian. The next thing I'm going to say is I can't remember who it was against West Virginia or was on West Virginia, but after the Waller interception, I was watching that playback today and if he got out of that little muck there was the wall the defensive line had gotten out in front and you know it's one of those things i think now we're we're, we're so accustomed to the way the offense is working that it's one of those like score we're too close we, we, we need an
1: old-fashioned Beamer ball defensive touchdown in a key moment. Um, and I think that's going to be what we need this week, and not not necessarily to to win the football game, but just from a mentality standpoint, um, I'd like to see us score a defensive touchdown this week,
0: uh, whether it be a scoop and score or a pick six. Yeah, something that, that the, the defense kind of was gaining its swag back in the second half. I think something like that early could really – set the tone for the whole game. Um, you know, we haven't had one in a while. You feel like it's coming the way the way you've talked about the, you know, sometimes making bad judgments. He threw one against Villanova and Mancuso, so maybe this is the game. Yeah. All right. Well, let's flip it to the offense, Brian. What do you want to see – what's the first thing you want to see out of the offense this week?
1: I want to see better uh, matriculating of the offense up and down the field, along with the ability to hit some big plays, whether in the running game or the passing game. Um, We shouldn't be forced off the field as often as we were against middle Tennessee state um, against this defense. We need to consistently move the football
0: and put points on the board. All right. And, you know, that's why it's one of those things – that's why the second half kind of what happened, I want to see more of. Yeah. That 7, 6, 10, 12, because the way – you know, you start matriculating the ball, the shots start coming. The shots – if you want to go downfield, they're going to be there because there's going to be tighter coverage up. But also – They can't come but so far up, right? You also get running lanes starting to be open because they're not just keying in that, oh, they're running the ball, you know, find the gap and go. So it's kind of both ways, right? You hit those short passes. I know it's something you really want to see, Brian, um, because it's one of those things, like, if you just can hit some short stuff, some easy stuff, A, you get Braxton's confidence up, and B, you start opening up Every single other thing we do well. And for the life of me, I don't understand why we can't implement that in the game plans early, but I'll digress on it. Now, the second piece, Brian, we've talked about it already, talking about the right tackle situation. um, But we've got to – regardless, we need to keep Braxton upright
1: we need to keep Braxton upright so the passing game can have the effect that we want it to. Um, And I think that's, that's the big thing that we need to focus on is, is making sure Braxton has the time um, for, for this offense to function and to get the passing game going. Um, And I think hopefully that will get up because right now he looks like some, some of his dropbacks, he's kind of got that, uh, that dancing feet in the backfield and and ready to take off pretty quick. And I don't know if some of that is just not having a good feel for the pocket, uh, whether it's the injury concern, or whether it's just feeling a little shaky about the offensive line, but um, I'd like to see us get into a little more of a groove there this week. And hopefully Braxton will play better as a result of that.
0: Absolutely. Um, That's really the big key is getting him comfortable back there. And I know it's one of those things you can say it's easy and whatnot. Like, oh, it's so easy to say get him comfortable. But the piece becomes getting somebody comfortable is also getting three and fives and making them comfortable. Because it's like anything. He gets comfortable at three and five. Eventually when you go to a seven, if no one has been up in his grill at three and five, when he hits that seventh foot, it's not going to be, Crap, somebody's about to hit me. It's going to be where's Trey? Where's Tay? Do we have the seam open? Right. Yep. It's mental. It's one of the biggest mental pieces of it. That's why you see some of the best guys, you know, of all time, you know, they get comfortable early. The next thing you know, they hit that seven foot. My guys are holding up for me. I'm not going to get yep. hit. So, yeah. All right. Last piece, Brian. <laughs> to show us he's not injured. <laughs> Let's put the read back in read option.
1: Yeah, that's that's an absolute must. Um, and, and we talked about it earlier. It's not so much that we want to see the quarterback have a ton of carries. We don't want to have the quarterback have unnecessary carries. But the point of the read option is to let the quarterback keep the football when it is schematically correct to do so, meaning that he will have some degree of free run to get some yardage and still have the ability to get down if he needs to. I I don't want him taking unnecessary hits, but at the same time, the, the way this offense functions, we cannot take the reads out of the read option because it comes a very generic offense
0: without that element to it. Very true. And the read option, same way, you get a little RPO going, right? You get a little RPO, you're holding the ends, you're holding the linebackers, lanes are opening up. So, again, by not having it, and teams are just saying, well, they're going to hand it off, crash the line, drop back into your zone, find the gap. It's, it's, um, it's, we're, we're, we're simplistic, we're basic. And, you know, sometimes the way we run our offense in general, it looks too vanilla, and it makes you – be honest. It makes you question, how big is this playbook? Yeah. And it needs to be bigger than what it is right now because it's way too easy for the coordinators to key without having superior talent.
1: Yep. I think that's the big thing is that, you know, without – there's still the threat there for Braxton to run, just because we are carrying out the fake. So they've got to honor it. Um, but pretty much the only person honoring it now is that re defender, right? Nobody, yeah. nobody else on the defense is really caring about whether Braxton keeps it or not. You know, the, your your DN is you know doing their squeeze and pop technique, and outside of that, nobody's really focusing on it because we haven't shown. That we're gonna run it to any any degree of frequency,
0: right? No, we, we haven't ran any. His running has been some scrambling, and in and, and the thing he's is, had like he's had a couple design runs that were hold, hold, all the hold, way quarterback design runs, quarterback powers with yeah. a guy significantly smaller. When you have a perfect option to bring off the bench, let's not even get into that because we'll get real pissed. <laughs> about it. You know, like you have a guy on the bench you can do this, just let him do that job. Yep. All right, Brian. We've talked the enemy. We've talked the version we want to see this week of the hokies. Let's make our predictions here, man. And um I, if I chose Richmond, no, I would still be on the show. So <laughs> that, Curtis is uh, Curtis vetoed that one real quick. <laughs> no. Nah. First of all, being in Richmond we hear a lot about Richmond. We know more about them. And are they a good team? Yes. But this is not the Richmond from the early or the mid two thousands that were built under Clawson in London, coached up. This isn't the one who competed for national championship and knocked off UVA. They're a good team, but they're not good enough to defeat at the division one level. I think this is gonna be similar to Middle Tennessee. I think we might start a little faster, but probably not fast enough for us as fans, I'm gonna go 34 13, comfortable three score win. Okay, Say okay. you, Ron.
1: I'm I'm very close to that. I'm uh, I'm actually going about a touchdown more than you on the Hokie side there. I'm going 42 13. Um, I I see this as being this is gonna go like Middle Tennessee if the Hokies actually woke up in the first quarter. All right. So they actually they actually played as if the first quarter was a thing. Um, so we at least put points up in the first quarter. Probably not as fast of a start as we'd like, but still a lot better than what we saw against Middle Tennessee. Pour it on late, get some of the second-string guys in there. And I think that's going to be important, too, because we need Always. to see – because depth is depth is such a big big problem for us right now. The more reps we can get against live competition, the better we're going to be. That that starts at quarterback, getting Knox more reps this week. You know, especially if Braxton is truly nursing some sort of injury, and we might need Knox at some point later in this season. I want to see more offensive um, line rotations. Um, figure out what the fuck you want to do at right tackle. This is the week. <laughs> this is the week figure out who the third tackle is. And I mean, I'd say on, on defense, get some of those young guys on the defensive line, some reps, because we're going to need them long-term as well.
0: Just get on the reps because the way things look, you could be short next year. Um, Just the way we've recruited and everything. So, yeah. So we are, we, we are back to our ways of both picking the Hokies to win. Um, and in a, I wouldn't say impressive, but a three-touchdown-plus fashion for both. Yeah. All right, Brian, time for Saturday pick here. We're going to do ten more games, seven ACC, three out of conference. Brian is as mid as mid can be. I'm below mid. <laughs> so let's see what happens this week, and let's start them on Friday night, Brian, just up the road here at 64. Wake Forest versus UVA. Wake coming off a 35-14 win over FSU. Yep. UVA scored more than 35, but still lost by 20 um, to UNC 59-39. So shake your head on that one. Since you are uh, the leader in the house, who are you taking on this one? Man, this, this one I've been struggling with, dude.
1: Um, I like Wake top to bottom better. I like UVA's offense. Um, the question is going to be is Wake's defense enough to kind of hold them down enough for Wake's offense to do just enough to pull out the victory? Uh, because it's essentially a pick. I mean, it's a, it's a four, um, not, not quite in the pick'em zone. Um,
0: uh, I'll take UVA and lay the points. You're gonna take UVA and lay the points. Alright. Um Brian, after seeing that game last week where they didn't the, the the bigger part of last week was this. They were playing UNC without three starters on the offensive line. Without three starters. UNC didn't have to punt. Yep. They did not have to punt. And to me, that would—that's the bigger concern because you're dealing with Sam Hartman, a veteran quarterback. Yep. At Forest, a very good offense and a solid defense. Yeah. I think this game's going to be high. And looking at it right now, the or high scoring. Looking at it right now, the over/under in this game currently, Brian, is at sixty-eight and a half. I think that's too low. I'd go over. I think Wake gets one additional stop, and they win this game, 42-38. Give me the points because I think Wake's going to pull the uh, the road upset here in Charlottesville oh, on Friday night.
1: It'll make me happy. I mean, I, Wake is a much more likable team than UVA. Uh, you know.
0: Rivalry aside, (laughs) all right. Another one Friday night. Two ACC games on Friday night here. Ron Syracuse goes out of conference again, where they play Liberty. Liberty in the dome is a six-point favorite. So Malik Willis and Liberty get a uh, are the road favorites. So a home team getting points. What are you? What am I thinking on this? Yep. Um, Liberty so far this year has played Campbell, Troy, and ODU. Well, ODU is sort of eh this year. Campbell's obviously FCS, so the only one I look at is Troy. And Troy, always, you hear about them every once in a while. They're a pretty good team, you know. Um, and they played a tight game with Troy. It was a, uh, They only won by eight points. So when I see a home team, the funkiness of the dome getting six, I don't know who wins the game outright, but I'm going to take a home team. Give me the points. I think Syracuse um, comes to fight. And, again, don't know if they're going to win it, but I think it's a lot closer game than Vegas thinks.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with Huse in the uh, in the points as well. Um and it really just boils down to I think with some extra tape now, we've got we got some got got some tape on Liberty. Um mm-hmm. team like Troy played them tough. They're playing in the Carrier Dome, which is notoriously funky. Yes. Um I think just those those things alone will will keep it close and I think it's going to be too close for that six.
0: All right. We're both on the Q train. All right, Brian, you do this when You love BC or hated BC so much last week. They came to <laughs> this week. This is a coin flip game. Mizzou laying one and a half. So whoever wins this game and whoever you take, it's probably going to win. What do you think?
1: Yeah. Um, I really don't know what to think about this game because I, I don't think BC is quite the same team. That they were. Um, now that Jerkovic is uh, is out, at the same time they're better than I thought they were going to be. At least initially, I'll take BC here.
0: All right, Brian. They
1: burned me last week. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna defy them again.
0: He's not defying them again, Brian. I would go with you if BC didn't put up. 220 yards of offense last week they won that game with a quarterback throwing 34 yards yep i i i don't know how to figure how mizzou's only a one and a half point favorite at bc i know bc has a solid defense but i essentially think against mizzou that defense isn't going to get anything or that offense isn't going to get anything going so i'm going to take mizzou I'll lay the one-and-a-half. I think Mizzou wins this one big by two touchdowns. Okay, okay. All right. You tell me how this is the line on this game. (laughs) Okay, hold on. I'm turning the hat backwards because this one's confusing. Yep. Florida State Louisville. Florida State, after hanging with Notre Dame, losing on the last section play to Jacksonville, and then blown out by three touchdowns at Wake Forest. This is a home game for them. That's great. Louisville played its best game of the year against UCF. Louisville's only a two-point favorite. Um, Vegas says momentum
1: doesn't matter. Um, They're they're taking talent over momentum. Because right now, Louisville, there's no reason. Like, to me, this is legal
0: limit Louisville. (laughs) I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. (laughs) Legal limit Louisville because if, if somehow FSU can figure out what they're doing, which I don't know if they can, Louisville kind of finally found its footing last week. against yeah. a- I mean, well, it's a,
1: it's two. You're essentially telling me just Louisville has to win outright, and I think they will. So Yeah,
0: I do too. <laughs> I do too. All right. The next one is the stinkiest line of the week. Oh, yeah. I mean <laughs> – Robbie, if you're listening tonight, which you're probably not, you're probably just pulling home from the field house down at North Wilkes. Clemson minus 10 against NC State. Um, I know Clemson, I think that delay game is getting everyone a wrong look at them. They played an elite defense in Georgia. They did move the ball. They weren't stalemated all night. Yeah. They screwed themselves a few times. They moved the ball against Georgia. They screwed themselves. And after what we saw from the, the fight in Dave Dorn when they went down to Mississippi State and laid a fat old goose egg, um, even though with this game at NC State, I think this is going to be one of those games Dabo gets everybody riled up, and I think they win by 14 to 17 points. I think it'll probably be an entertaining game to watch. I think they pull away late, but I think the 10 points is just, I I can't, I can't fathom why it's 10 points. Yeah. um,
1: Give me, give me Clemson here too. Um, I was high on NC state and that Mississippi state game burned me and I have not forgiven them for that yet. (laughs) I, I, I don't trust them. I don't trust them in a matchup where they need to, get a win. Um, so I'm going to go Clemson here. I think they end up figuring out kind of how, how that offense is going to look with this new personnel. This is the game where we see that come to fruition. Like you said, Dabo is going to have them fully whipped into a lather um, to, yes, to play know. their asses off for this one. Um, so yeah, I'll take Clemson.
0: All right. I don't want to. I don't want to. Oh, yeah? I don't. After what happened last week, I don't want to make a prediction on this game.
1: <laughs> you got to, man.
0: Okay, next game is Kansas and Duke. And <laughs> Duke is laying 16 points. Um, and I sit here, and the game's at Duke. It's a 4 o'clock. This is going to be a snooze fest. <sighs> Duke has just burned me (laughs) so many different ways. The UNC Charlotte game last week after – you know what? Just give me Kansas. At least Kansas is showing some fight under Lance um, out there. You know, I think they covered the Coastal Carolina game the other week. I don't know if Kansas will outright win, but after Duke screwed me the last few weeks, I'm just going to pick against them until I'm right. Kansas. (laughs) Kansas.
1: <laughs> so you went with them early, you you went against them last week. You're gonna stick against them because they burned. You. Them. Okay. Eventually they're gonna lose. you're probably you're definitely right. Um this is not a good Duke football team, but they they no. are in a stretch of their schedule where they're playing similarly awful uh overall <laughs> talented teams. Um so This one's tough as well, just because that 16 is kind of right at, you know, kind of where you think it might be. Uh, Definitely don't think Kansas can win this outright. Uh, I'm going to go with Duke. Oh, man. 17. It's a 17-point win.
0: (laughs) Well, until Duke wins... Or until Duke loses, Brian, on these, he's just gonna go against me every time. Like <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's
1: worked in my favor so far. So I'll just I'll keep yeah, that train
0: rolling. Exactly. All right, last ACC game we picked, Brian. Georgia Tech UNC. Um, Georgia Tech could have pulled the shocker of all shockers last week. They didn't in the crazy lightning field nine hour game what felt like UNC is laying 12 in this game, Brian. And you know, this game, it is at Georgia Tech. What are you thinking on this one, man? I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking
1: Georgia Tech has about one Clemson game in them every five games. So give me UNC and lay in laying the points.
0: Woo! But how often have you been wrong about Georgia Tech in the last? You know what? We don't we don't years. talk about these things, man. <laughs> We do not discuss uh, Georgia
1: Tech history on um, this podcast.
0: I, I'm going to go against you um, on this. Well, this is the first week where, you know, we're, we're, however you we're it goes, go. someone's
1: either making up significant ground or losing significant ground. You said UNC, right?
0: Yeah, I'm going UNC. I think UNC is just going to have a hangover. I don't think you score on every single possession against the
1: <laughs> <laughs> Law of averages coming into play
0: here. UNC wins this game comfortably, like thirty one twenty-one. Um but Georgia Tech like late backdoors it. So give me Georgia Tech, give me the points. Um just, it, this is like now the Duke, I'll have to go against you whatever you do with uh, Georgia Tech, man. <laughs> so, yeah. so Duke and Georgia Tech are our
1: new pivot points. That's, exactly. you got to love that. <laughs> All right. All
0: right, let's go to essentially the three biggest games of the weekend. Um, I'm going to go a little out of order here, Brian. I got this one at the bottom. But let's look at West Virginia coming off the big win against us last week, against Oklahoma in Norman. Oklahoma's a 17-point favorite, and I'm going to say this. So far this year, Oklahoma has not looked like Oklahoma. They have. They just haven't. You know, you look at their games this year, yes, they're 3-0. Tight with Tulane. We're not going to count Western Carolina. I don't know how that game got scheduled. Tight with Nebraska. I think this is the week they blow the doors off someone because I think West Virginia is going to go in there with their heads in the clouds after a huge win that probably should have been a loss. And I think they lose by 28-plus points. Give me Oklahoma and lay the 17.
1: Yeah, West Virginia treated the game last week like we treated UNC. It was like the spectacle of the fucking year. Uh, so I'm right there with you. I feel like Oklahoma is going to finally get into their groove offensively. And they're going to – I'm not, not going to say blow the doors off, but it could be a three-touchdown
0: win. All right. Now we'll go back to the normal order. Let's go back up here. This is a very interesting game. The Fighting Irish of Notre Dame against Wisconsin in Chicago at Soldier Field, Um, essentially yep. a midpoint between Madison and South Bend. Um. Yep kind of a cool place to do the game. Wisconsin is a six-and-a-half point favorite. Um, obviously, you know, we know about the Irishes, close call with Florida State, close call with Toledo. Um, and, you know, Wisconsin one and one out the gate. Um, Notre Dame off a solid win against Purdue. Purdue looks like a better team this year with Braum. And Wisconsin, you know, they played Eastern Michigan and they played Penn State. What are you thinking on this one, Brian? Because this is one with six and a half, they're saying the Wisconsin that we saw that against Penn State is eventually going to punch it in, but they only scored 34 against Eastern Michigan. Yeah, this is a weird
1: one because I feel like, you know, the loss – to Penn State, looks probably a little bit better now than it did out the gate. Um, That said, you kind of laid a little bit of an egg overall against Eastern Michigan, even though you came away with the win. Um, Irish looked like they were sleepwalking through two games. Feel like they put a little bit together uh, last week. Um, Still not playing quite to the level that you think they should. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take... Irish and the points. Um, I feel like it's going to be a tight one down the stretch. It's going to um, look a lot, look really similar to, uh, kind of how the Wisconsin Penn state game went.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to definitely take Irish in the points up because I think, I think Notre Dame's going to win the game outright. Um, I think a neutral field is going to be the biggest difference there. Um, with the split house where if this was in Madison at six and a half, I think I'd be taking Wisconsin here. Um, but also I'm one of those two. I don't want Notre Dame to lose until October 9th. So Yeah. Speaking you know, of which, uh, we got a little
1: uh, comment here. Early thoughts on how we match up against Notre Dame?
0: Well, if it's the Notre Dame that's been sleepwalking the first three weeks, I like our chances. Um. But they've got two games back-to-back for us to sort of wake up. I mean, they've got, obviously, Wisconsin this week. And then, you know, next week, I think it's the USC game. Now, it's Cincinnati. So, they're playing two very good opponents leading into Virginia Tech to where even if they lose one of these two games, they're probably going to get – there's probably going to be enough good film out there where they're going to start to make some adjustments. Yeah, um the the only thing
1: I'm saying is that you know we get Fuente with the bye, how True. does it work? He he's looked good off buys and he's looked awful off buys, so I really don't know what that bodes for us. Um that being said, if if they still are struggling with pass pro and blocking scheme overall by the time we get to that game, I think we'll do all right on defense. It's going to be which somewhat whole field offense can can get enough points on the board uh, to 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 get the win because it's going to be I think a defensive struggle uh, both ways.
0: It's a race to twenty. If that yeah. game shows right now, it's a race to twenty, and the question is, does Chris Tyre break one for them, or does someone like Trey or Tay? or even he take like a screen or a quick pass to the house against them. Yes. And that would be the difference in the game. All right, one more game to pick, Brian. Um, Arkansas versus Texas A&M. Uh, definitely probably the biggest ranked matchup of the week because obviously, um, you know, if you didn't know, going next week, it's a really big week for Texas A&M. Um, so kind of back to back big weeks with them is at Arkansas, but A and M is sitting on the precipice. Um, they're a couple weeks away from Alabama, and if they get through Arkansas, it's Mississippi State. Um, Arkansas has kind of been the surprise darling so far this year. Um, Arkansas is getting five and a half points. And A&M, the quarterback who was supposed to start us out, I think it's too many points to give with the backup quarterback in. They've already proved when they went to Colorado. They struggled without him. They they won that game by three points. It easily could have been a loss. Um, So give me Arkansas. I don't know who's going to win. I do say this, looking at the over-under in that game, over-under is 48, take the under. Yep. The way Pittman likes to try to slow down a game, the way he likes to run the ball, think of him back at Georgia. I think the under's going to hit, and um, I'll take Arkansas on the points. I know we're agreeing a lot here down
1: the stretch, but I I agree with you 100%. Um, I think it's going to be a game that gets slowed down by the by the consistent running attack. Um, and I think that with A&M having a backup quarterback, you don't see the – the big plays and the consistent drives that you would get from a, from that quarterback, it's going to be kind of a slog at times, even though they, there is the potential there for some of those plays to hit. So I'm going to, I'm going to take Arkansas on the points as well.
0: Yeah. And if you're just wondering about um, Arkansas, they're 16th in the country in, in rushing offense, yep. um, you know, and AM's decent, giving up about 162 yards a game. But, again, it's the A&M schedule thus far, the A&M schedule of Kent State, Colorado, and New Mexico. Like, they have to show up, at least with Arkansas. We can say the win over Texas, whether you like Texas or hate Texas, you know there's talent there. I I think that's the difference in uh, pig suey. All right, Bron, anything broken the last hour and a half since we've been on here? Uh, nothing that I've seen,
1: um, you know, we're going into this week. Uh, a lot of lot of this week either wraps up most of the out-of-conference, either this week or, or, or next week. So uh, we'll be starting to move on to full-on uh, conference competition here soon. Uh, I know we still got Notre Dame on, on tap there, but more or less uh, we're, we're kind of moving into the meat of conference play here coming up. So looking forward to more ACC talk here. And seeing some how some of these coastal matchups shake out as, as we move forward because uh, we still got a shot here in the coastal. So got to make the most of it.
0: Exactly. Uh, the one thing we should talk about is here is, and this is from earlier today, the Ross Dellinger playoff expansion model. Maybe that'll be our off-week discussion next week. We'll get on <laughs> next Wednesday, talk about this model right here, um, and then pick some games. So, yep, there we go. But guys, that is going to wrap up tonight's episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website at BoundaryCornerBT.com to listen to all of our episodes. It is now updated, so when you click on the website, the first thing there for you is our most recent episode. This will be there early tomorrow morning if you want to listen again. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast source including spotify amazon and apple Podcasts. brian has made it where you can actually subscribe has just about whatever your favorite source is click right on it right there as always we let our buddy jason long play us in he plays us out you can catch him on spotify and apple music we thank you for listening and as always let's go hokey's